0: Amen, good morning everyone. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Beth Guckenberger and I'm part of the teaching team here at North Star and it's my joy to be here and be a part of the Healthy Church series. I really like as a church that we are having this discussion and have been now for a few weeks. Healthy churches don't happen on accident. You have to intentionally purpose yourself in that direction. And the reason the church should be healthy is because the church, it's, it's, a, it's meant to be prophetic. It is a, it's a reflection of that which we are yet to experience. What, it's like a, a little taste of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so if, if you're new here, let me tell you this, if you're old here, can I get a witness? This church will not be ever the flashiest church. We are not <laughs> trying to be big for the sake of being big. We are always going to have our goal to be uh, healthy. And the way that you stay healthy is you make sure that your choices, your teaching, and every all of your decisions are based on biblical principles, that the Bible is our plumb line. We will not take cues from the culture. We will not do, we will not like you do you, and we will not like follow our hearts. My heart is crazy, right? Sometimes it wants to do the right thing. Sometimes it wants to do the wrong thing. It doesn't always, even feel like doing what it is that I know is to be true. It's why the Bible talks so much about our minds. Set your mind on things above. Take every thought captive that doesn't belong to him. Renew your thinking. Our minds can be renewed so that that which is natural is set aside and that which is supernatural is adopted. We can have our minds be renewed what we are used to what we are comfortable with which comes natural is not always healthy if i haven't met you yet i spent a number of years as a missionary in mexico and we were house parents in a foster home of teen girls and in this season where the story i'll tell you about there were a series of other foster homes around us and Todd and I functioned kind of like the principles, like each home governed itself, but if something escalated or there needed to be an intervention or backup, we were called into that story. And on a Monday, we placed a boy, a really difficult boy, into a boy's home on our campus. And I told those house parents like, I I think this is gonna be a little bit of work. He, he, but these house parents, they were like way better at this job than I was. They were, they had like after school sharing time and then snack time and then they had like, get ready, do your homework together time and let's make dinner at the same time time and then we're gonna have game time and like, like so beautiful and, and this young man came in and tried to disrupt all of that. He, he didn't have an appetite for relationship, connection, all that togetherness. And every night, those house parents would revisit with us how their day had gone. And I just kept telling Todd, My gosh, these people are saints. As this young man kept trying to disrupt what they were doing. And they were like, You know what? The Holy Spirit is just giving us everything that we need in order to love Him well. And I'm like, Wow. And a week later, I was at my house, and one of the other boys in that home came running over and knocked on my door and said, you got to come quick. Our house dad has lost his mind. <laughs> and so I came over, and he was right. The house dad was like crazy, and the mom was like crazy trying to calm him down, and the other boys were all responding and reacting to their crazy. And the only person calm in the whole place was this new kid. And I looked over him, and I was like, what's going on here, buddy? And uh, he's like, finally, I can breathe. I can finally breathe. He's like, "Like." These people have been so nice all week, and I felt like I could—I was suffocating in all of it. He's like, I was trying and trying to sabotage it and find. Look, it's chaos. It's—it's it's perfect. Look at them, and you could look in the kitchen. It was like it was chaos. And later that night, when I was debriefing with those house parents, I said, "Like this work is actually going to be more than making sure he gets his homework done. Like he literally has an appetite for chaos. It's." it's the only waters he's ever swam in. It's all he knows. You're going to have to help him renew his thinking and set his mind and help him understand the healthiest thing for him is all that attachment and connection and relationship. Our minds can be renewed. I don't know what your set points are. I don't know the kinds of things that you have carried into your life with Christ, but they feel so natural. You just like like to hold on to them. We can have unhealthy patterns in our minds, like things like, the only person who can take care of me is me. I'm gonna take care of myself. I don't need anybody else, I'm independent. Or maybe you take into your life with Christ this sense overall of anxiety, like I, I, if I don't worry about it, something the ball's gonna drop, something's gonna happen. I have to always kind of carry around this angst with me, like it's all up to me and it's it is coming apart. Today, we're gonna to read together Psalm 107. You got it when you walked in the door. I think they'll turn on the house lights a little bit, but no shame if you need a flashlight on your, iP- on your iPhone to read alongside. Um, I, I, I have reached that age where I often need a light at a restaurant. Can I get a witness if you're in that story? Yeah. Um, I am the oldest among the teaching team, and so I'm always telling them to put the lights on brighter on the stage. I just was teaching at North Star at the Westchester campus and I fell off the stage and I know, I know, that's all they're gonna think about today when they go home, like forget what I preached about and I was like, oh my gosh, I am the old lady who needs lights and now I'm falling off the stage. Anyway, okay, today we're gonna read Psalm 107 together and here's what I want you to hear. There are gonna be four unique scenes so if Hebrew is written like pictures, I've told you this before, but let me say it again. If I was to circle you up and say, hey, tell me, you Western-trained, Greek-minded Americans, tell me about who God is. You'd probably say things like, he's sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's um, I mean, I don't know, what, Like he, he's my savior. You'd say those things, which are all true. The Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, were written by people who saw things in pictures. So if I asked people with that kind of training, tell me who God is, they'd say, God is a rock. God is shade. God is living water. He, they talk about eagles' wings, like they're pictures. So, Psalm 107 has been written as a series of pictures. Do your very best to try to paint those images in your mind. There'll be four concurrent scenes. We'll find God's kids in a desert, we'll find them in prison, we'll find them on their sickbed, and we'll find them in a storm. And in all four of those situations, you'll see a reoccurring pattern a way in which they are getting their mind set in heavenly places. In all four of those situations, they'll find themselves in over their head and they can't do anything about it. So whatever they thought they could do to help themselves, they'll figure out they were wrong. And so the second thing they do in every one of those stories is they cry out to God. And then the third thing that happens is God answers, He delivers. And then the last thing that happens is they praise Him for it. And we'll see that pattern. I don't know when something hard is happening to you Do you, like, who do you cry out to? And whether it's God or somebody else, the reason we cry out to that person or to the Lord is because we actually believe they will do something about it. At the base of this conversation, at the root of this discussion about crying out to God and believing He'll come for us, is this idea that He actually knows what's happening to me. He he heard my cry in the first place. He sees me. And I want you to ask yourself these questions that I'm gonna put up there. Do I believe that God knows me? Do I believe he knows my story, knows my past, knows my questions, knows my struggles, knows my future? Do I actually believe he knows me? If you don't believe he knows you, you're not crying out to him. Do you believe that he sees you? Sees you in your classroom, sees you in your bedroom, sees you at work, sees you on the sidelines, sees you? you? Does you believe he sees you with your child or your neighbor or your mother-in-law or whoever? Do you believe he sees you? Do you believe... That you bring God delight, that you're actually worthy for Him to come for. Do you believe He's like? I'm so glad you called. I'm on my way. Do you believe that God hears you, hears you, or do you think He may be like only hears you like especially on Sundays after you've attended church? Does He hear you in the middle of the night? Does He hear you in the middle of your sin? Does He hear you if you haven't talked to Him in a while? Does He hear you? And do you believe that you belong to Him? because He's coming for you, you are His own, and He always comes for His own. The answers to those questions, if those are a wrestle for you, the rest of this Psalm might not make a lot of sense. And that's maybe where you and the Lord should just stay in that space. But if you have the basic mindset, yep, God loves me. I don't know why, but He sees me. I don't know how, but He comes for me. If you can settle those in your mind as being biblically true of you and your relationship with Him, then you're gonna, you're gonna be able to understand what God's kids experience that are, is recorded in Psalm 107. It actually reminds me of this story. I, there was a woman who mentored me for many years in Mexico. She's now gone home to be with the Lord. But the story I'm gonna tell you is like in the first maybe six weeks that I knew her, I'd seen her maybe 10 times at this point. And, uh, she was, uh, had been a nurse and then retired, and in her retirement, she decided she was going to open an orphanage, which is like an ambitious project at any age, but definitely in your retirement, and she got 40, 50 kids, and she blazed through her savings account, keeping that thing alive, and then she asked all of her friends and family for their savings account, and at this point in the story, she had run out of all money and all resources, and one night, in, in the middle of the night, she got out, she was like feeling anxious, because If we're gonna feel anxious, right, it's gonna happen in the middle of the night. And she was like, Lord, like, if this is your idea, you have to come. I can't, I don't know, I don't have any other options left. You have to come and rescue me. I can't do it myself. And she, the, the next day, Todd and I went to go see her. Of course, we didn't know that she was up in the middle of the night crying out to the Lord. But two days before that, a Cincinnati businessman had called us to let us know he wanted to tie the portion of his earnings that year. And he was hoping it was enough to underwrite the operations of one of the orphanages we served for the balance of that year. And Todd and I had prayed about it for a few days. And we had just gotten to know Martha, but she seemed like a great lady. And we thought she should be the recipient of this kind of generosity. So we went over to her house and said, hey, like, you can't even believe it. This guy wants to, like, help carry your, your children's home for the rest of the year. And at that point, she told us about what she had been praying the night before. And she told me a little bit after that, that that same, that next night, When she went to bed, she decided to set her alarm for three o'clock in the morning, and she just woke up at three o'clock and said to the Lord, I remember that this is the time that you met me and heard my cry, and I just wanna give you praise. And then I learned that she did that every night for the rest of her life. For the next 18 years, she set her alarm at three o'clock in the morning to just tell the Lord, you heard me in my distress, you came for me when I called. This is the kind of muscle we're gonna be talking about. This paper that you have with you, it has um, verses in three different colors. I'm gonna read all the black words. This side of the room is gonna read all the red words. This side of the room is gonna read all the blue words. And yes, it's a competition, so be as loud as possible, okay? And, and you're gonna, the, the line you're gonna read, you're gonna read over and over again because we're gonna see a reoccurring pattern. It starts, this Psalm 107 starts with a preamble. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And there'll be different verses. There's 43 verses in this Psalm. There might be a verse that kind of hits you and it's a verse that you're gonna go home and think about. Maybe you're gonna commit it to memory, stick it on your Instagram, I don't know. But like, there'll be a verse that'll be important to you. The verse that has stuck with me in the, in the preparation for this message is this first, second verse. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Like, what it is that God does for us, and we're gonna see all kinds of things He does for us, we're supposed to testify to those things. I've been saying lately, everybody has this like bank of testimonies, and in my bank of testimonies are some of my stories, some of the moments when God has come through for me in my life, and in a moment when I need a withdrawal, I go back to those moments where I'm like, you did it before, you'll do it again, you won't fail me. I've seen you, I've seen that in you before, I'm asking for it again, come. Like my own stories edify my spirit, but also in my bank of testimonies are deposits from all of you, from other saints who tell of the ways in which God has come for them and come through for them. And when I hear their stories and I stick them in my bank of testimonies and I need to withdraw, I'm like, gosh, I know you don't like him any more than you like me. So if you'll do that for him, come do that for me. Like, come for me, I know you can do it. I've heard about this about you. I now know this to be true. I trust in their testimony. The redeemed of the Lord, that is us. We need to tell our stories to people inside of our family so that their faith is strengthened and to those outside of our story to testify to who God is and what it means to be the child of someone who is not of this world. Okay, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, east and west and north and south. And here comes now the first of the four situations. The first one's in a desert scene and maybe you've never ever wandered around in a desert and you're like, I don't know what this is gonna have to do with me. But these are people who literally couldn't figure out where they belong. Like, where do we settle? Have you ever felt like, I don't really know where I belong. It says, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle and then let them give thanks to the Lord for their unfailing love for his wonderful deeds for mankind. Did I get your colors separated? Okay, so sorry. I am not a very good conductor, but I did not fall off the stage, so we're still okay. Uh, What I want you to to hear is, man, they were in trouble. They recognized God as the rescuer from them in trouble. He did indeed rescue them. He took them to a city where they could settle, and they worshipped him for it. Verse six, they cried out to him in their trouble. Hebrew words are like pictures. I've said to you before, if you don't remember the word I'm about to teach you on your way home, who cares if you can say it? Who cares if you remember how to spell it? Hebrew words are like doorknobs. They take us into new rooms of understanding. All that matters is that we now live differently in our new room of understanding. It doesn't matter how we got there. But I wanna teach you that word for distress or trouble. That word, like like in English when we talk about being in trouble or stress, usually the the mental picture is like it's something is heavy, there's like a burden, you're like weighed down by whatever is hurting you. But in Hebrew, the, the word for distress or trouble is the word zar or zara, the T is silent. It means narrow or tight. The picture is like, I'm like hemmed in, like squeezed or trapped a, and you'll see King David will talk a lot about that he was trapped and by his enemies, he was squeezed in. Think if any of you are like claustrophobic, like just imagine, like I just, I can't breathe right now. And so the word for relief, the idea that God will get us out of our trouble, he'll give us relief comes from the Hebrew word Rahav, which literally means widening. Like I was tight and scrunched in and nowhere to go and trapped but now I'm wide. And he'll do it all over the Old Testament. Second Samuel, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm 31, he set my feet in a wide place. Psalm 118, from my distress, from my trouble, from my hemmed in, trapped little place, I called upon the Lord. He answered me, he set me in a large place. Psalm 4, though I'm hemmed in, you will lead me into a wide open place. You'll literally widen or rahav me, have mercy on me and respond to my prayer. And in that wide place, it doesn't mean the story always changes, right? Sometimes your health diagnosis doesn't change in the wide place. Your marriage in trouble doesn't change resolve itself, your prodigal's still somewhere out there wandering, it doesn't mean, I don't want you to hear that the story always changes, but there in the wide place, my hands are open, I can get all the things God has to give me. I can get wisdom, protection, provision, mercy, self-control, love, joy, patience, there's all kinds of good gifts God wants to give me. In that wide place, I can breathe. God will be with me in the story in the desert or wherever it is that I find myself. And there's just a little PS on this Hebrew word I wanna say before we keep going. Isaiah 63 uses it, it says, in their distressed, in their hemmed and trapped place, God, He too was distressed. And I don't know how you picture God when you call out to Him from wherever it is you find yourself, but in case you were thinking erroneously that God's like, are you kidding me? Are you there again? Aren't you just there yesterday? Haven't I rescued from there, you from there a hundred times? How'd you get yourself back in there again? Why are, you, why are you calling out to me? You know exactly how to get out. In case you think any of those voices sound right, they don't. God literally is telling us, hey, you know what? When you feel squeezed in a tight space, I feel it too. When you're hurting, I hurt too. What you are, where you are, I am, Two, He's closer to us than we can possibly imagine, waiting to take us into a wide place. So next we have a scene in prison and maybe you've never been incarcerated, but have you ever felt like you've been held captive by something? Paint this picture as you read these verses with me. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands. So these people are actually in trouble because of their own fault. And I was reading this, asking myself, where does rebellion start? Does it start in our head or does it start in our heart? The next verse says, they despised the plans of the Most High. They literally thought their way was better. right? They made a decision. God's ways are not my plumb line. I'm not gonna live according to God's ways. My ways are better. And in that kind of rebellion, they found themselves in utter darkness. Have you ever felt like this is really dark. I don't, I, don't know. I don't know how we're going to get out of this thing. This is really hard. He subjected them, verse 12, to bitter labor. They stumbled. There was no one to help. Then they cried. He saved them even though they got themselves in that problem themselves because of their crazy rebellious ways and their decision to do things their own way and their discomfort and darkness. He came for them. He brought them out of that darkness, that utter darkness, and he broke away their chains. He broke down the gates of bronze and he cut through the bars of iron. I want you to paint that picture. There is no darkness, no chain that can hold you down. God can't come get you not single one. It makes me think of, when I heard bronze and chains and bars, it made me think of the biblical character, uh, Manasseh, he's the bad king. He gets a lot of attention, he became a king at age 12, and he did what the Bible says, evil in the sight of the Lord, he put altars to other gods in the temple of the Lord, he even sacrificed his own children, he despised God, was terrible to him throughout his entire reign, and what happens when you live that way, it it says, uh, in. Second Chronicles, verse 33, um, that he was taken prisoner by the king of Assyria and literally put in bronze shackles behind bars. So there he is. He had been the king. He had lived according to however he wanted, whenever he wanted. He got to rule his own kingdom and and live according to his own understanding. He followed his heart and he you do you'd. And this is where it lands you, in, in shackles of bronze and behind bars of steel. And don't you think, like, if, that, if, if God was human, which he is not, but if God was human and that guy calls out to me, I'm like, I'm, you're getting what you deserve. Are you kidding me? You sacrificed your own children. You led all of my people astray. I'm not coming for you. What you have, what you're experiencing, you had coming. That's what would it sound like if God was human. He is not. This is why he's not setting his mind into our ways. We are setting our mind into his ways. He's from another place. It's a supernatural way of thinking. It is not natural. Here's what happens, verse 12. In Manasseh's distress, he sought the favor of the Lord. Are you kidding me? And he humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty. And he listened to his plea and he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Of course he did. Just broke him out of the bronze shackles and behind the bars of steel. And the idea of whatever might hold you captive might be a new idea or experience for you. But this idea of rescuing is an old story. God has been rescuing his people for a long time. And this idea of Manasseh like falling his own ways and it leads him into utter darkness. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter five where it says that God's kids can get taken into captivity when they begin to experience sweet things as if they're bitter and bitter things as if they're sweet. And that makes me worried for our culture because we are swallowing a bunch of bitter things and pretending like it's sweet. And the things that are good for us, we, we reject because we think we have a better idea or maybe they have a better idea. And the pathway of thinking sweet things are better and better things are sweet is utter darkness and chains and bronze and bars and iron. And God comes for us. And the things that hold me captive might be different than the things that hold you captive. Genesis chapter four, there's this passage where God's talking to Cain. Cain is the bad son, right? That's where you get the expression, raising Cain. And he's about to kill his brother Abel. And God says to Cain, Genesis chapter four, sin is crouching at your door. And you have two choices. You can master it or it'll master you. And the sin that's crouching at my door is different gonna be the sin that's crouching at your door. This is all based on like my, my childhood and my personality and my life experiences and the things that I struggle with. But I want you to remember this, this continuum I'm gonna paint for you. If I sin, I have two choices. I can confess it to the Lord and walk in the spirit. God forgives me, right? First John 1, 9 washes me, it's all perfect, all good but if I don't confess my sin and I think I like that, that, that bitter thing tasted sweet, and I'm gonna, I wanna do that again, and I don't confess my sin, get accountability, live life in the fellowship and the spirit, then over time, I want you to think of your soul like a ground, and that sin happened in the low ground, but if you don't confess it, then you're giving up ground to that enemy, to evil, and now that sin has a foothold inside of you, and now, I actually have an appetite for those bitter things and and I'm comfortable with those bitter things and I've given up ground inside of myself to that which is not okay. So I have two choices. Now I can confess my sin. God will come for me. He'll break me out. He'll he'll, he'll wash me clean. He'll forgive me. Life in the spirit. It's amazing. I have accountability and all that. If I don't do that and I'm like, "Mm," I'm kind of enjoying this this thought that's not of God's, this activity that's not of God's or whatever, whatever your sin is, then that foothold over time becomes a stronghold. And now I've given up some high ground to the enemy. And now he has, he's like taking up residence. He, He wants to... He wants to control my thinking. My mind is not set on things above. I have not taken captive my thoughts. I have not renewed my thinking. I am now giving my mind over to the world and to evil. So I have a sin that became a foothold that became a stronghold. If I confess my sin, he'll take me into the spirit. He'll forgive me of all my sins. It will be washed white as snow east to the west. You know those verses. If I don't, then over time that stronghold, actually I begin to identify with that sin. And if my sin was worry, and I was someone who worried about something over here, that was my sin. Over here in identity, I am a worrier. This actually is who I am. And th- this is the, this, that kind of progression of sin leads you to utter darkness, and God wants to save you from it. The third scene is a scene of sickness, verse 17. Some become fools through their rebellious ways. They suffer affliction because of their iniquities. So that begs the question, will God heal us from messes of our own making? Like they literally are sick because of their own sin. They loathed all food and they drew near the gates of death. They're practically dying. Then... He's so good like that. He sent out his word and he healed them. So the answer to that question is yes, he will heal us even from messes of our own making. He rescued them from the grave and so? Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful peace for mankind. Let him sacrifice offerings and then back to the beginning, tell of his works with songs of joy. We got the redeemed of the Lord, got to tell those stories. So when we wander, he comes for us. When we're in prison, He comes for us. When we are sick, He comes for us. He's telling us over and over again, hey, guess what? I will hear your cry, I will deliver you. The last and fourth scene is one on the seas. It says, some went out in the sea in ships, they were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, His wonderful deeds in the deep, for He spoke and stirred up a tempest it lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. So now they're in over their head. This is a, this is a circumstance that's come on them that is not of their own making. They don't know what to do. It's out of their control. You cannot control a storm if you've ever been in a terrible natural disaster. You can't stop it if you wanted to, no matter who you are, what you have, what you've done. This is a story that is bigger than them. And in their peril, in this circumstance, their courage melted away. Like, no longer do I have any confidence in my own abilities. They reeled and staggered around like drunkards and they were literally at their wit's end, it says. And I don't know if you've ever been there, at your wit's end. I don't know how to fix this. This is too big for me. This is not something I can do on my own. They did what, the only thing they can do at that point, they, he He stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed. (laughs) And remember, we've talked about this before, everything that Jesus ever did when he walked on the earth, he told us he was going to do it everything he was a he was a living embodiment of the fulfillment of prophecy so in mark chapter four when he stills the storm he does it to announce hey don't forget you remember who i am i'm the storm stiller i'm the one that can hush the sea i am the god who hears you when you cry out i will deliver you from your trouble that's who i am i've been doing it since the very beginning of time it is no big deal for me to do it here in mark chapter four this is who i am and the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever says to us, you got a storm? Call out to me. I know how to calm down a storm. I know how to hush those waves. This is who I am. This is, this is who I am. And of course, verse 30, they're glad when he grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. Let them exalt Him in the assembly of the, of the people and praise Him in the council of elders. Just put more deposits in people's banks of testimonies. And for the next 10 verses, we read about how God gives and takes away. And in seasons of plenty, they were praising Him and in seasons of challenge, they cried out to Him and they wandered and He delivered them every single time. Verse 41, but He lifted the needy out of their affliction. He increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice and all the wicked shut their mouth. And then verse 43, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the living deeds of the Lord. And now we're back to the beginning, heeding and pondering our actions of the mind. They're like setting our minds on things above and taking thoughts captive that don't belong there and renewing our thinking. We've gotta heed and ponder and get the truth securely from the plumb line into our heads so that in the moments we're in prison and on our sick beds, in the moments that we're wandering and in, in storms, we know exactly what to do. Cry out to him, he's gonna come for us. And then we have the privilege of testifying to the story that he's, that he's come for us in. I wanna finish with this last little image for your mind as we've been painting all of these pictures today of being squeezed in in wide places and all those scenes. For about two years I homeschooled, I was not that good at it, but during those two years I learned this, uh, this phenomenon that happens to elephants. So if you're an elephant and you um, are like essentially in a drought, there's no water source anywhere around, elephants have the ability to detect water that's under the ground, that's yet to surface. And when an elephant understands there's water right here under the ground, I, I just, I can't taste it, but I know it's here. An elephant can emit a sound that humans can't hear, but that travels up to 30 miles. That calls other elephants to them, like, "Hey, I found some water. Come over." And that ele- the, f- the first elephant that found the water begins to stomp on the ground with all of its weight and when the elephants that come to it from the 30 mile radius arrive to where that one first elephant is they join him in stomping on that table on that on that ground and then there's like a whole science thing about the the soil like vibrates and and it's a process called liquefaction and eventually those elephants literally break through the water table and the water comes up and this is why we come to church. We come to church to say, hey, you know what? I, I, I know there's water here. Are you thirsty? This is where the living water is. And we stomp on the ground and announce to everybody in a 30-mile radius, we found water. Are you thirsty? Are you, are you in the desert wandering? Do you need something? Right here is where it's at. We're going to stomp on the ground until it comes up and bubbles all over us. And now we're back to the beginning of the story. I want you to go home and remember that this message is about you can cry out to the Lord in any story, in any circumstance, and He will bring you into a spacious place. He will deliver you. He will come for you. But I would be remiss if I didn't say PS, all caps, and when He does deliver you, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story because Loveland needs to hear this story. Right, Cincinnati needs to hear this story. There are people currently living in darkness, bound by chains of bronze, who are wondering, did you find water? Where'd you find water? And you have the opportunity to tell them, oh, oh, let me tell you, I've got a deposit for your bank. Let me tell you, I even made the old mess I found myself in and he came for me anyway. This is the stories that we get to tell. Would you pray with me? Oh dear Jesus, I'm so grateful for the ways in which you call us to yourself. Thank you that you come. You come wherever we are, however we got there, however claustrophobic and squeezed in and I can't breathe anymore and it's too dark kind of place I find myself in. You come. You hear, you see, you love, you died for us. You're a deliverer. You calm the storm. Will you do it again? Will you do it in our lives? And so Jesus, it is with the authority I have as a co-heir with you here together with my spiritual siblings that I ask you release an anointing on this body, that they would experience the rescue of your hand, and the boldness to talk about it when someone asks them for the reason for the hope that they have. Help us to be testifiers, Jesus, and to tell your good news I pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.
1: Amen. So when you were hearing Beth talk, was anyone thinking of their own stories of distress? I was the only one? Okay, we have some others. All right, so let's practice right now, crowd participation, let's practice right now. What has God saved you or rescued you from? What's up? Death. Yes. Yeah. Hopelessness. Anybody else rescued from hopelessness? Yeah. We have a lot of that. What else? I heard a couple at the same time. What was Addiction. Addiction. Yeah. Over here. Myself. Myself. Yeah. God rescued me from myself. Wow. Yes. Anybody else? Fear. Yeah rescued me from physical pain? Any other physical healings? Cancer. Cancer. yeah. He rescues us because He loves us. Like if one, I have three little girls, they're not as little anymore. I have three girls and if one of them needs rescuing, you are darn right I'm gonna co- go and get them. That is the God we have. That is the God that we serve it's our dad. It's our dad who loves us and is crazy for us. And the, the hard part I have is sometimes I forget when I'm in a, in a place where, where life is hard or there's something going on that's difficult, my natural inclination is not to first run to God every single time. Sometimes I try to do it myself. Sometimes I, I try to like muscle through it or I, I try to do things under my own strength. And man, when I see my girls do that, when I, when I see other people do that, it's just like, just ask for help, just call. And so we're, we're to a time now where we get to practice what we just heard. When we hear the word of God, it should spur us to action. I spurred you to action on purpose. I wanted you to tell about the good things that God has done. And we get to do that. Maybe this is the discussion over lunch is telling your kids, telling your spouse, telling your friends the stories of how God has showed up in your life. That would be huge. Sometimes um, we're in the middle of it and it doesn't feel like God is there. We're in the middle of the the distress. We are in the middle of the funk and it doesn't feel like God is there. And let me just remind you that the Father, even if he's not right in front of you, he's the one that's holding you up. Sometimes I can't see God moving in front of me. And that's when I know he's the one that is holding me up. He's the one that is comfort, comfort, comforting me in a way that allows me to keep going when I know I shouldn't be able to keep going. And so maybe that's you, maybe you're in the middle of a tough part and you need to remember right now, like the story's not over and God is there with you. He's the one that's holding you up. This is a time of response. We're gonna have prayer teams down here up front, And maybe you need somebody to cry out with you. Cry out to God because you haven't seen him come through as you want him to come through. And let me just be clear, he might not come through exactly how you want but he will come through. And sometimes he has come through, but it's not all the way yet. And we need to start thanking God for the little things that he shows up and does that gets us another step closer to where we need to be. And we need to to celebrate those things. And so maybe that's something we need to do. Like, I see God moving and he has moved to this point but I think there's still more to go. Will you join me in in praising God for what he's done and then join me in, in asking him for more. So there'll be prayer teams up front. We will cry out for you, with you, and we will celebrate with what God has already done. And then we have communion stations up front and in the back of the room. And this is a time where we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate the work that God has already done. This is the God that saves and so as we hold the piece of of cracker we dip it in the juice we remember the body and blood of Jesus that gives us life that gives us hope that that seals the deal for our salvation and actually gives us hope to actually walk as Jesus in this world it's amazing so we're gonna do those things now let me pray God you are good you are moving we celebrate the work that you have already done. And we ask you to move again. We love you. May the words that come out of our mouths, may our actions just be pleasing to you. That's why we do what we do. Amen. Amen.